I'm B. And I'm B. And, and this, this is Homestead Happenings. Happenings. Where every week we bring you along on our journey to self-sufficiency. And bring you exclusive interviews on all things Homestead from people around the world. So hit subscribe and follow along with us. Let's learn. Let's grow. Let's go. I'm V. And I'm B. And today we are going to talk about dairy cattle. And now I know there has been a lot of people waiting for this episode. And I'm very excited about this episode. We have dairy goats. Um, if you've listened to our other episodes, everybody knows that Braxton has been like team dairy cow <laughs> for a really long time. And so we're just excited to talk about this. Of course, there's going to be many ways and many different things on the cattle subject, just like with all livestock subjects. But this is going to be jam-packed. We're so excited that Donna from Hazel Bell Farm decided that she was going to spend some time with us today. So I want to remind everybody before um, we get too far into this that the giveaway for the dehydrator ends January 15th, 11.59 p.m. There is now a lot of people who are entering, so get your entry in. How to enter, go to our Facebook group for the podcast, which is Homestead Happenings with BB Podcast. When you type that in, the group will pop up as well as the page. And go ahead and make a post in there why you love dehydrating or what you love to eat dehydrated, what you like to dehydrate, why you'd want one. Doesn't matter how you want to word that. Just do a post. If you would like a bonus entry, then share your favorite podcast episode on your Facebook timeline. Screenshot that. Put it in the comment section of your post in the group, and that will count as a bonus entry. If that's confusing, there are a few people who have done it, so you can go ahead and scroll the wall there. Um, also, lots of people are getting some good ideas on things to dehydrate that they hadn't thought of. Marshmallows right now is a really hot topic. So very excited about that. Once that um, giveaway is done, we will move on to our February giveaway. I love that everybody's been participating. It's been super fun. This will air after the Mary's Heirloom Seeds um, end of the year sale, but you will have some new sales that are coming for January. So with that being said, in the description box of this podcast episode, I will include our link and also I will include a code. So you'll be able to go and see what that sale is going to be. Now is the time to buy seeds and stuff is selling out and things like that already. So you definitely want to get in there while you can. So did I forget any of the reminders? I don't think so. All right. Well, on that note then, which I love to say that, I feel like I, every time I listen to the podcast, I'm always like, let's get into it. On that note, maybe those will be my key taglines. Sure. I, I don't feel like you believed that. I don't feel like you meant that with your whole heart. And that's disappointing. Well. Well, anyways, um, let's go ahead and bring on Donna from Hazel Bell Farm because apparently I'm not funny. Sometimes. Apparently, rarely, yeah. really. I think I'm witty. I have a, I have an uncanny sense of humor. Okay, a little bit dry, 
sometimes a little bit confusing, but I'm hilarious to me, and that's what counts. It's different. Wow. All right. Well, now you're just downright rude. All right, Donna. Why don't you tell us about you so we can take the focus off me? Hey, guys. I think you're funny. See? <laughs> I'm hilarious. Yeah, I've been enjoying the podcast, so... Um, well, I am here, as you said, to talk about dairy cow, and yes, you are absolutely correct. Cattle can be uh, too broad of a subject, <laughs> so I like to hear that you're breaking it up. Um, honestly, dairy cattle and beef cattle, I mean, obviously, they're like they're completely different breeds, but um, we like to say they're completely different species in the cow world. Um, beef cattle people often think that us dairy cattle people are a little bit crazy um especially those of us who you know we baby our milk cows for for our family it's the family milk cow um they we kind of build a relationship with them we totally baby them and uh beef cattle people find that hilarious so yes (laughs) it's a broad topic yeah Um, it's completely different than having beef cattle yeah, it is. It is. And we do have both, but, um, and we, we, while we treat them similarly because they are all cattle, um, it, they are different. We, they have different feed needs. They have, uh, you know, just different, um, metabolic requirements. The vet even treats them a little bit differently. So it, it it's neat to see that. Right. Yeah. So we are a small uh, family farm. We have been doing this homestead thing for as long as I can remember, honestly. My husband and I have been married for 20 years. This, this well, we're at the end of 2022, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it, that's confusing. Um, yes, we have been married for 20 years. This last year was our 20th anniversary. And um, we have always had animals. We've always lived rurally. Um, we didn't always call it homesteading. I think that term kind of came around maybe a dozen years ago or so um, that it started to kind of catch fire. Um, but we've always, like, we've always had chickens. We've always had something going on. And probably maybe 12, 13 years ago, um, we really started to dig deep and live a more agrarian life and, um, you know, kind of left the rat race full time and um, wanted to live more growing our own food, teaching our kids where their food comes from. Um, those things are so important to us and it's become a passion and um, that's it, it's just our everyday life now. So, um, you know, it's funny, year, it's funny you mentioned about homesteading the term because there's just been so many people so like when we were whenever I was growing up you just lived in the country like that's right, just, right. that's what it was you know so like canning and gardening and the animals and everything I mean that just it is what it is like that was it's just life, life right? and yeah. farm you know and now though it's very peculiar it's either farm ranch homestead hobby farm Right, and, 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 and people will nitpick that. <laughs> yes, and I have, you know, and it's the um, episode that we had aired this last week uh, from Beth, she was mentioning that this was her whole life, and, you know, homesteading wasn't a thing, you know? Right, My grandma right. had made comments about that, too. She was like, you know, technically, yes, we were all, you know, homesteading, but this is the thing, you know? And so now... 
Um, you know, just kind of, it, it sparked me. So I, I looked around and people are saying hobby farm is when you're not necessarily, you're not trying to be su sustaining anything. You basically, that's where like your agritourism falls in. Just people uh -huh. who enjoy having livestock. It is what it is. They just love it. They still work. All those things. Um, it's not for profit. Um, people are kind of saying farm when you have either ag agricultural crop land like that, or you're having the, the, the cows and the crops, but it's for profit, um, on those right, larger acreages, right. ranching, when you have a lot of head of bison, cattle, you know, those kind of things, um, and it's all for profit and homesteading where, you're trying to work into those private systems where you want to sustain yourself. You know, that's what you're always trying to get, get from, um, you know, your goal is to be working for yourself, supplying for yourself. Everything is like super self-contained. Um, and so I just thought that that was interesting um, yeah, we, I mean, like I said, we never called it homesteading. In fact, I never, um, we, we just called it life. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're growing food. We're, we, we started with the garden thing. We always had chickens, um, at least layers. Uh, we played with goats for a while and then we had a milk cow. I still didn't call it a farm even. Um, I guess I started calling it homesteading when, I found that we just had a lot of irons in the fire as far as growing our food went. And, yeah. um, you know, we homeschooled our kids and that became part of our daily homeschool life was, um, you know, Hey, we're gonna, today we're harvesting onions and this is how we're going to preserve them. And this is how we're going to use them. And this is how many we need to think about ordering for next year. And, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it just became, part of our our every day and when we started with all those different parts of growing food it became clear that oh we're doing the homestead thing like they say on youtube <laughs> you yeah know? i think youtube sparked it i think so too i think that's a big component of it i think that the, the there's positives and negatives okay so i would say it's positive that it sparked so many people it's positive that this is happening because it needs to happen, but it also strummed up some other things where there's an awful lot of livestock rescue. Right. Um, so we're having a lot, depending on, you know, people who are, I see uh, things on like TikTok, Facebook, all that. You have people like big dairy farmers or you know, big cattle ranchers, they're trying to give a sneak peek into their life for the public so they can see like, look, we do take care of our animals. We do our, we're doing right. this, we're doing that. And then on the flip side, it's like, well, yeah, you're doing this, but so-and-so has them, you know, baby calves in a milk bath and, you know, and doing photo shoots. Right. And so it's, it, you're, you're constantly having that thing. And I think that's why when people are starting to talk about permaculture, regenerative agriculture, it's like they're starting to bridge that, we'll call it a nature gap. Where, right. you know, so I think I just didn't want to get off on a tangent, but I just thought... <laughs> that's easy to do. <laughs> yeah, I just thought, <laughs> well, that's interesting 
that, you know, so for us, if I say, you know, we have a homestead, technically we are working outside of the home, but the whole point is to move into a closed loop system. Right. So we're working on that. But lots of people, you know, they think homestead and they immediately go to like Laura Ingalls Wilder. Right. And, you know, then you have the off grid, but you use a cell phone thing. So you it just you can't please everyone. You just can't. But, no, no. But people who've lived this way always, you know, it's like it was just it was country. It was not odd that there was like random steers like breaking the fence and running loose. It wasn't odd that, you know, there was you know, mom was trading vegetables for honey and all these things. Like that stuff was just normal. Sure. So that that's sure. that's kinda nice. I think where I did a lot of my childhood was in the tiny, t- tiny, tiny towns. I don't know. Maybe one of them might have only had like 40 people. Um, wow. And so then you have to drive to the town. And it was never like drive, like you live rural and then you drive into like LA, Omaha, Kansas City. It wasn't like that. It was always like then you're driving into just a bigger town, you know, just to like. I think my mom's town, um, I don't know, the little village was small. There, It was very small. There was like two streets. And then you'd go to town, and there was like 3,000 people. Right. Maybe 4,000. Right. You know, and then before it was like, it was like 20, 25,000. So that was like huge. You know, like that was the town. Uh, and then I got older, and I realized there was places like Omaha and Atlanta and you know, or Orlando. there are millions of people. Yeah. And I'm like, holy overwhelm, you know, so that you adjust and everything, but I just thought that was funny. So anyways, back to farm and dairy. <laughs> yeah. So we, um, I actually was never even comfortable calling our place a farm until, um, we moved our farm last year and, um, we are now we're on 20 acres and that's the most that we've ever been on. We haven't needed any more than that. We really don't need the 20 to be honest, um, for, for what we have and what we do. But, um, we, that's, that's what we have. And somehow that number, I guess that chunk of land. And, um, and now that we are trying to work towards profit, um, you know, as a, a small farm business and trying to put some food on the table in our local community, um, uh, that we're able to call it a farm and that's, it just feels right. It really didn't before, but so we say small farm now yeah. and that's what we're comfortable with. So that makes, that makes sense. Who knew, who knew there was who such knew? a name controversy, you know, there is. <laughs> we I do know. have, there we, is. we do have some things, you know, like selling the poultry or, you know, the eggs or the rabbits or, you know, whatever, but. Our thing is always, you know, like we're just working on for us first, you know, we're always trying to fill our freezer and stuff first or do those things first. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. Now when those systems are there and they're closed, um, you know, we don't, we're not trying to scale. So that's why I say, you know, we are a homestead. Some people get confused and I just say, whatever, we have a farm. Because I don't want right. to sit and ex- explain, you know, they just associate right. farm with animal, but yeah. for the most part, but, um, how, when did you, like, how long have you had the cattle? So, um, cows 
we, we have had cows in the past um, that just didn't stick with the way life was, was happening at the time. In fact, when we had our first baby, um, he's 19 now, and I can remember setting him up in his bouncy seat in front of baby Einstein on TV and with a bottle and <laughs> call me a bad mom if you want with a bottle and a, and a monitor and I would run outside and feed a bottle calf that we had at the same time so my babies were getting bottle fed at the same time and um so like we we've had them in the past and then it was like girl what are you doing like yeah. <laughs> you know you, you you can't live like that and so knowing our limits and kind of paring down and that and then we had some time where um like I said, we were living the rat race between my husband and I, the two of us, we were working three full-time jobs and, um, that all kind of had to come to a screeching halt. And uh, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully it did. And then we were able to really start tiptoeing into different animals and gardening and then big gardening. And then I was like, Hey, um, I had a milk cow when I was a kid. And my husband had milk cows when he was very, very young, but he, he doesn't really remember a lot of it. They were mostly sold by the time he was old enough to remember. But um, his parents sold milk off of their little homestead, and um, my parents did not sell milk, but we had this milk cow, and it really was a novelty thing. And I, I mean, I showed her with FFA and, and that kind of thing in the local wow. fair, but we didn't, I didn't really remember, like, troubleshooting issues and you know I remembered I remembered having the cow and it planted the seed in in my heart of this is what I want to do one day and uh so about eight years ago I said hey I'm uh looking for a cow and my husband's like what <laughs> and I said yeah I'm I'm ready for a milk cow and he's like whatever you know okay and I, he really didn't think I was serious my parents didn't think I was serious you know it's kind of one of those like I'm sure you faced the same thing when you told your families that you were going to live off grid. Like, they're like, <laughs> okay, please go get your head screwed on tight because yeah. you're out of your mind. Everybody <laughs> you was know? like, oh, okay, oh, okay. And then when we were actually going to do it, they are like, wow, you're really, okay, all right. Yeah. I did yeah. not anticipate like, you're, that. You're really going to milk a cow? Uh, why? Like, that's so weird, you know. So um, about eight years ago, we bought our first um, young dairy heifer. She was a three-day-old heifer when we got her, and um, she was off of a dairy, and uh, she came to us sick, and <laughs> she, she had scours really bad. So you really went we in. Nursed, <laughs> we really went in. Yeah, we paid too much money for her. Um, we had no disease testing. Um, we had to nurse her to help, and in the end, she ended up being, like, the best thing ever, and I'll I'll never have another cow that is like her, um, but we did lose her this last year, um, but that was, that was the first, and that was really all I wanted was just to have this one milk cow. I wanted, I wanted to put raw milk on the table. Um, at the time we were buying raw milk and it was expensive. And I had two growing boys that, um, went through a ton of milk, you know, and by the time I would use that milk to make the other things that I wanted to do instead of purchasing dairy, um, you know, the, the yogurt and the cheeses and the ice cream and stuff like that, it was, it's like, man, we're, we're going through three and four gallons of milk a day. And, um, that's expensive at 10 and $12 a gallon. Yeah. So, 
I wanted the milk cow. And of course I didn't just go buy something that was already in milk and already trained to stand. And, you know, I had to bond with her and, um, be really stubborn about it. And so (laughs) it was a long process into actually getting the milk, but, um, but we got there and now we're sitting at four milk cows in my fields, which is ridiculous and amazing all at the same time. (laughs) So what, what breed of dairy cattle do you raise and which one, um, typically produces the most? And I'm curious if you can compare and contrast both. Yeah. So as far as production and volume goes, that's going to depend largely on that cow's particular genetics, um, much like goats, you know, you have your, you have your strong milk lines, um, and, you know, you could say like La Manchas and, and uh, Nigerian dwarfs are great milk goats. But then, you know, this particular line produces better volume than my other Nigerians. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that kind of goes the same thing with cows. Um, you can get higher producing milk lines or lower producing milk lines. And it just, just depends on what you get. Um that first heifer I was just speaking of, her very first lactation, she busted out with seven gallons a day from the get-go. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I have another girl. I have a, a, a little bit of a smaller girl right now. She's a standard. She's not a mini, but she's, she's a smaller end of the standard. And she uh, came to me only giving about a gallon a day. And she's in her, probably her third lactation. Um I don't have her entire history, but that's kind of what we're guessing um, between us and the vet and the people we bought her from. And, um, you know, it just it just really depends on on that girl. Um, You can manipulate production with feed um, and and then also breeds. Breeds are very different. So um, we like jerseys. I mean, you just can't beat the Jersey cow uh, as far as butterfat content goes. Um, Holsteins are going to produce a lot more milk, but you're going to get less cream uh, percentage butterfat out of them. And so depending on what you want is, is going to be the direction that you go. So, you know, I noticed, um, well, we've actually, we've actually looked into the Dexters. Um, Uh like, well, I don't know, dear, can you even fathom? What we would do with seven gallons a day? I mean, probably have to give most of it to, like, pigs and stuff. I know, because for us, that is just so extreme. But, on the first well, side I'll tell of that, you, you won't beat milk-fed pork either. <laughs> so. Yeah, but we, and we do have dairy goats. So, I mean, we have five does. Um, and so it's like, but my issue with the jerseys, and this will roll into a question, is, um... I see them, my experience with jerseys is online, within Uh the milk groups, within YouTube, within um, people on our pages, you know, seeing all that, and it just seems as though they have a lot of issues after they calve, um, pass away pretty easily, or have trouble um, breeding. I mean, are you having... Um, breeding is definitely not a problem. Um, jerseys are extremely fertile. Um, 
and and they're extremely easy calvers too. Um, so it those, could just be people having poor lines. Generally speaking, I'll say that. I mean, I know that's a pretty big brush stroke, um, but yeah. And I think a lot of times when you're looking online, especially like those Facebook groups and that kind of thing, people are posting their problems because they want help, you know, and and not necessarily posting all of the joyous occasions. Um, so you only you you see a larger percentage of problems than you do the good stuff. Um, but I, I'll say this, jerseys are definitely more prone to metabolic issues like ketosis. Um, your higher producing cows, which a lot of times that's going to be a jersey, is more prone to mastitis. Yeah, um, that ma- mastitis and then what was it? Mastitis, um, milk fever. Milk fever, yeah. So milk fever and ketosis can be completely controlled with diet. And I think what we see a lot of is, uh, and diet like leading up to calving and then at calving and post calving. Um, a lot of that can be controlled with genetics. You know, if, if mama was more prone to milk fever, then, then this heifer is probably going to be more prone to it as well. Um, and, and then again, your higher volume cows are going to be more prone to milk fever. Um, but those things, like I said, they can be completely controlled with diet. Um, we've worked with our local vet who is, he's a dairy vet actually. And, um, and he's given us a good decent protocol for how to feed. And, and we've never had issues like we've never had the metabolic issues. Um, so, we come close and, and that's when we kind of got that protocol from him. And, um, I think a lot of what we see right now is this, uh, you know, just like the fire in the homestead community of like, I want to do this. I want to close the loop. Um, you know, getting the milk cow is, is a big step in that. And, um, a lot of people are jumping in without the knowledge and that's, that's risky and you end up with issues. So I will ask a loaded question now and then I'll be quiet and soak up all the knowledge here um, is this is exactly why dairy cows beef cows this is why they are in rotation of the podcast that they're scheduled in because I so many people this is like their spring thing like this is what they're wanting to do so I wanted to top the year off with here's some information get people some resources um, in the description, uh, of this, uh, on the, um, page and, the, and on the group, I'm going to include some links, um, possibly some literature, all those things. So people can really kind of look at that stuff before diving in. And hopefully we can, if we can help one person, then we've, we've done a good job. So the loaded yeah. question will be, how are you feeding what are you feeding? How much are you feeding? And minerals. Okay. And if you can um, do minerals last, that would be ideal. Okay. Okay. So um, if you are looking for a cow that you don't want to ever feed any grain to, you're going to have to seek out grass-fed genetics, cows that hold weight well. Some of that's going to depend on breed. Um, so your Devons are good at that. Your milking shorthorns are good at that. Um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a little bit of a blank. Um, and quite honestly, I don't have a lot of experience with those breeds. Um, those, those breeds that are good dual purpose breeds are going to do better on grass. Um, 
if you are seeking out, uh, like we do artificial insemination, and I won't get off into that because that's not the question, but um, <laughs> when we search out um, a bull so that we can order those semen straws in for our tech to hold for us, um, that's one of the things that we've begun looking for are grass-fed genetics. And the reason is we're going to feed our grain because where we are right now, it's like living in the Sahara. <laughs> like grass <laughs> is very, very sparse and we're working on fields and, you know, that just takes time to, to build. Um, we're, we're rotating and, and doing all the things. It just takes time. In the meantime, we're searching out cows uh, that hold weight easier on just grass because then even when we do feed grain, we don't have to overfeed grain. Um, and so that's a, that's, that's a little tip. We choose to grain feed. Uh, we grain feed our beef steers too that are going to go for butcher just because we prefer the flavor of grain finish. We do grass fed, but then we grain finish. Um, so they're still on grass. They're still getting hay. Um, but we do add some grain in about the last 90 days. And um, we, always, that's the flavor. We, with that? I was just going to say, I've always preferred the grain finish too. I don't really like the grain or the grass fed, grass finished beef either. I, I think it's an acquired taste, to be honest with you. Um, we've done some grass finished. We've had customers come back and say, I didn't really care for that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, mean, I know. I tried to tell you. Everybody always says um, it's like how you cook it or something, but I, I just, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Age time is a, is a big thing. You kind of, you want to age it, age the meat longer before it gets wrapped to freeze. And we've done all of those things. We just prefer a grain finish. And so um, we finish on, and we feed our dairy cows. We feed them a mix um, that are local local-ish feed mill <laughs> we have to drive 45 minutes there but um yeah they mix uh different different kinds of uh rations for um cattle and then they they do one like for steer pens and that kind of thing that you know they'll, they'll ask you do you want this to have antibiotics in it well no no i don't i don't want to feed, feed my dairy cow antibiotics you know yeah and so they have uh one particular mix they call their ranch mix and then we kind of um alter it a little bit with some additions but it has it does have soy and corn they are locally grown here um and so i am comfortable with that um we don't feed it a lot um and then it also has peanut hull cottonseed um barley oats and um forgetting something i cannot remember <laughs> um but we do add in some black oil sunflower seed some alfalfa pellet and we just started using peanut meal uh from a local peanut farm and um they basically they grow the peanuts to sell for peanut oil um and what, whatever's left over gets ground and dried and it's super high protein. Um, we just add a little bit in with what they get because we don't we don't want to over protein them. Um, that that will throw their gut microbiology off and um, have some unpleasant consequences. I'll say. <laughs> so, uh, they they love it though, and it honestly it smells like uh, my feed shed smells like nutter butters. <laughs> and they, and they so you can imagine they love it. Uh, but we do feed that, and as far as how much we feed, um, it depends on where they are in lactation. It depends on if they've lost too much weight. It depends on so many different factors. 
Um, so right now I have two girls that are we are milking that are at the end of their lactations. Um, one of them has only been in milk for about seven months, but she didn't get a good start this lactation. Uh, she came to us about a month into it. She hadn't been milked, and um, she was starving when she halved. And at no fault of the seller who we bought her from, they bought her pretty much emaciated. So she didn't – that. When she calved, she was already hungry, and that really set her up for a low-producing lactation. And we're going to go ahead and dry her off um, since she is currently rebred and is due to calve in August. So she'll have a, a longer dry period, um, but she's put on weight, and, and we're happy for that. She only gets um, – we use the quart – or I guess it's like 1.25-quart scoop, and um, – she gets three scoops of feed, so it's a mix of those things that I just said. Um, I, I should weigh it. That's a common question: is how many pounds of feed do you feed? And I don't know. I think people <laughs> get I think people get hung up on the pounds because it made it easier for pigs when you knew right. how many pounds, you know. And like our our rabbits, poultry, goats, all that is by the cup, you know. So I do right. it by the the cup, the quarter cup, the half cup. So then our pigs are by yeah. pounds. And so I think for me, I'm like, if we were to bring in cattle or sheep or whatever, uh, I don't know, a mini donkey or whatever, I'm always thinking like, how many pounds is this? How many, you know, this and that. Now for us, that the tree fodder series that I've been doing, that's kind of, you know, what, what that's for, um, to kind of have those resources for your larger ruminant animals, especially who have such a higher need. Right. To take a load off of some of the the grains and things like that. Um, right. For people who don't want to exclusively grain feed, but they don't have the lush <laughs> pasture ready to go full of everything desirable. Which is not us. Right. So, um, hay is going to be first and foremost before grain. So our cows get free choice coastal Bermuda hay. Um, you know, it, it's not your fancy O&A or anything like that, um, but it is more than sufficient for cattle. Um, in fact, our beef cows pretty much only get that. Um, so whatever they forage out, like right now, we just had our first killing freeze with this nasty, <laughs> the nasty weather that swept through oh the country. Oh my gosh, yes. I know. I, mean, I, did, I, I wasn't sure us, if you guys were going to get hit. Yeah, I was like, I wasn't sure if you were going to get hit in Florida. But yeah, we did. We were in low twenties for for three nights. I think tonight is supposed to be our last freeze. Um, is that typical? It, it's, it's not. No, especially for for this time of year. We don't usually see freezes until um, we're well into January. Um, it, it, and then low twenties is crazy. Like it it was nineteen the other night, and we haven't seen that in many years. Wow. So, I wish I yeah, wish I could yeah. say that I haven't seen that in many years. <laughs> but I will say, you know, we do get frost, and you can get frost with the right atmospheric conditions at about 40 degrees. If the air is wet in Florida, right. the air is always wet. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and so we do get a killing frost usually sometime in November. Um, we didn't even have that until now, in, you know, December and for Christmas and that. that so the killing frost takes out all the grass until it starts to come back in about uh first to mid-march um okay. our last frost date is average mid-march 
Okay. So depending on the year, you know, sometimes sooner. We had a very warm winter last year, and uh, so we had we had grass a little longer and then a little earlier again. Um, I don't. That's, that's I don't not think gonna that's gonna happen, happen this year. No, <laughs> yeah. not gonna happen now. Yeah. Yeah, so whatever the cows can find, um, you know, we have, we like to use them um, to their best ability as well. So we'll push them to eat certain things and we'll push them to finish their their hay. The dairy girls in particular are rather dramatic. Um, they like to act like they're starving because they threw their hay on the ground. Um, they, I think they it's a dairy do, thing. <laughs> it must be. I mean, they, they really are with extra with the drama, but... Um, we, we like, you know, we might want them to clear out an area. And, and the beef girls are really great about doing that. The dairy girls kind of walk in, sniff around, and turn around and scream at us. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, just, it just depends on there's that difference in your breeds again. So but, how, much, um, how much hay are you, do you suppose, if somebody were to just have, uh, you know, two, you know, how much hay, how do they gauge how much they should buy, you know, of course, like right. with our goats, we know we need 12 to 14 bales a month. If we don't have, you know, if there's nothing for them to forage and everything, like how harsh this weather has been and killed everything so early. Right. Right. So, um, we choose to purchase the round bales. Um, I think they're half ton round bales that we, we've been getting a thousand pounds, um, coastal Bermuda and we have our cows separated into different sections right now because altogether everybody was being hormonal. We've been going through breeding and <laughs> all kinds of fun. Drama. With that. So <laughs> yes, the drama. So we have two beef mamas and they are currently nursing four steers, four young steers. And so the six of them are going through a roll of hay about every 10 days. Uh, 10 to 14 days and then we have um, three dairy cows um, and then one dairy heifer she's just a year old she's still on the small side um, they're going through the same size roll in about six five to six days so um, it, and, and it depends too on the weather like this this cold that we've had cows you know, just like goats and sheep, they work that rumen to stay warm. So they're eating more, they're burning more calories. Um, we've increased their feed a little bit during that, but just making sure that they have plenty of hay out. So they're like, with th these last three or four days, they've just eaten nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> um, they've just been munching the hay. So they go through it a little bit faster. Well, um, and I said I warmer, was, I said I was going to be quiet and didn't have any questions. And then I interrupted with questions. So... <laughs> At least I stayed on topic. I was on topic. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so, so that that was the, the questions I wanted to intervene. And now I let you continue on your mineral journey. <laughs> sure. Well, with minerals. So people do different things for minerals. Um, and, you know, and, I, and there's a lot of good arguments for all of them. Um, the only thing that I'll really stand firm against is just throwing them a mineral block or a salt block. Um, those they're really not getting what they need out of those. You can put it out. It's fun. They'll lick it. It's great. But they're not getting uh, the nutritional value that they need out of it. Um, so you definitely need a, a loose mineral, um, that's something that is out free choice, that they can access it when they want, as they want. Um, 
I prefer a brand called Concept Aid. Um, it's made by, I think it's, uh, oh gosh, I should have written this down. I, um, I, I want to tell you a brand of fertilizer, and I know that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> well, not what we will do is she will message me this, and I will include it into the into the post on the page, so everybody will. I then definitely know. will. Then yeah, everybody will know. Will. So. Don't forget to go join the group. <laughs> um, a lot, some people like to put out um, loose minerals separately. And so um, you may have seen this on some popular YouTube channels where they go and they go, they say, well, we're going to put out this much um, salt and this much kelp and this much um, iron and this, you know, wh whatever all the things are that, that they have in that mixed loose mineral, they put them out separately. And the idea is that the animal will come and only eat the things that they need, that they crave what they need. Um, and that, that works great. I, I have not felt the need to do that. Um, the, the mineral that we choose is more than enough. And um, it's, it has enough copper, it has enough zinc, it has all the things that they need. So, um, and we know that, by how well um, their calves are born, that they don't have any issues, uh, you know, with their legs or anything like that. And then we also know that by how fertile they are and that they're cycling regularly. And not only are they cycling, but when we are ready to breed, that they do settle and, um, and become pregnant pretty quickly. So um, mineral is, I say hay is first, mineral second, grain is third, as, as far as order of importance. Yes, and um, for the people listening to this who lean a little bit like me as far as um, non-traditional, that's still fine. We're just talking about this right now, but of course you can still do your personal research as far as all of your percentages and what things are in, but not everyone has, um, food forest systems to be able to provide those year round. So, right, right. um, for us, it's, it's a certain way, but there's a lot of people who are not doing it that way. And that's because they're not small enough to be able to accommodate something like that. When you only have two, that's different. I mean, you have 50 head, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't be managing that or you've got all different ages and different kinds and different breeds. It's just, you can't. So, um, for everyone listening, if you prefer to do it a different holistic way, that's fine. But just know this is the other way to do that. This is things that, um, people are using and they are working. So, um, do this until you can get your program hashed out. Um, if possible. So then that way the cattle are not lacking at all while you adjust your systems. So I've to, that's good. That's yeah, that's good advice. I gotta, I gotta put that in there. Cause I know, you know, there, there's different, there's different things. Um, and so I know some people or even like the grass fed all the way thing, you know, it really is just right. gonna depend on what you have. And I think sometimes people get so hung up in, in one way or the other, they're not quite like a hundred percent on their percentages yet. And you kind of, you just want to kind of yeah. be there yeah. first. And honestly, like it's, for our personal farm, it's, 
far as, you know, doing things naturally and holistically, you know, that kind of follows in that same thread. And um, yes, I'm all for that as much as I can. You know, we'll, we'll try to treat a, a mild case of mastitis with colloidal silver before we go to antibiotics. But oh, yeah, dang it, yeah. if, if my cow needs antibiotics, I don't want to lose the cow. I'm going to give her antibiotics. The problem then, if we wanted to try to designate ourselves as an organic farm, that cow would have to leave the farm. And so um, we, we, for that reason, we, we never call ourselves organic. <laughs> we never will. Um, and when I learned that, as we were looking into getting milk cows, um, I stopped supporting organic dairy farms at that time um, because they will call a cow before they will treat it with appropriate meds, um, all for the sake of labeling. And that's unfortunate that that's how it's become. Um, I don't think that was the intention commercially, but um, that's what it's become. And um, I knew I wanted to do something differently. And so for our farm, if, uh, if we can treat naturally, we will. Um, you know, our chickens, they get lots of oregano and garlic and apple cider vinegar instead of, um, you know, corid or, or anything like that. But um, when it comes to my cows, if, if they need a, an antibiotic, I'm going to give them an antibiotic. So, right. And, you know, we follow all the safety protocol with withdrawal period and that kind of thing. Right. So I guess kind of uh, explain some of the differences between milking uh, goats versus milking cows. Oh, yeah. So um, I guess ob the obvious is the animal, you know, the size of the animal. Um, if you are new into livestock, handling a smaller animal is going to be a lot easier than a large cow, um, even even a smaller cow. Um, and if you want your kids involved, your kids are going to be more comfortable handling goats than they are cows. Um <laughs> The parasite load is a huge thing. Goats are much more prone to succumbing to parasites than cows are. And while we have had to treat cows in the past, it's not something that we have to regularly do. Um, whereas goats so easily become, you know, the, <laughs> so overloaded that you, you, they, they drop like flies, you know. And yeah. it seems, seems like out of nowhere. That's not a problem we've ever had with our cows. In fact, um, I can count on one hand how many times we've had to treat for parasites in eight years that we've kept cows um so that that's a huge difference um and to me a benefit to keep cows um they're they're just overall easier uh their feed requirements are obviously different um while they're both ruminant animals they have that in common um and that they need roughage and that the, as far as i think with goats, we never were even close to anything like milk fever or ketoacidosis or anything like that. Um, so goats would be easier in that regard. Land requirements, obviously. Um, goats are going to have less pressure on the same square footage of area of land than, than cows do as far as you know, how much they're eating, how much they're trampling. Um, cows are going to need more space being a bigger animal. Yeah. And then their milk, um, the amount of milk you get is going to generally be more with cows than goats. Um, so while that can be a good beneficial thing, if that's what you're looking for, you also have to be prepared for that. Um, like I said, seven gallons a day out the gate. <laughs> it's it definitely be overwhelming. a lot of milk. 
be pretty overwhelming. Um, the flavor is a little bit different. Um, cow's milk, uh, our cow's milk is pretty sweet and sometimes that is manipulated with the grain that they get during milking time. Um, uh, we've we've had milk that tastes off, especially in the spring. It gets that cowy taste, and I would relate that similarly to goats. And when goats get that goaty taste, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and then again, that's going to vary by breed, just like goats. Um, cheese making is going to be a lot more versatile with your cow's milk. You can do a lot more with it, more with the hard cheeses and that as well. Um, Goats obviously have that natural homogenization with their milk, um, where it takes a little longer for the fat to separate out. Where with cows, I can let milk sit for about eight hours, and I've got a pretty nice thick cream line on the top. And then um, I would say butter fat content. Um, You get a lot more out of your cows than you do out of your goats. And again, that can also be manipulated with feed. Um, More more, uh, carbs in the feed is going to give you give you more fat on the milk so absolutely uh um, she always likes the goat's milk better than cow's milk she's uh technically lactose intolerant but she still eats ice cream and consumes more cheese than she probably should but the goat's the goat's milk is way easier for her to drink than cow's milk right yeah so the milk proteins and goat's milk are going to be easier to digest for most people um a lot of people don't realize, though, that, that they can tolerate raw cow's milk where they can't tolerate pasteurized cow's milk. Um, that's a whole other conversation. But um, if she does well with goat's milk, she'll probably do well with raw cow's milk as well. Not 100%, but I do have – we have some some buyers who can't drink pasteurized milk um, at all and, and have been diagnosed lactose intolerant, and they buy our raw cow's milk and have no problem with it at all. So, right. um, it just, I, and I think that's a case by case basis. Yeah. So talking about, um, so do you guys hand milk or do you use a milking machine? So we prefer, I prefer to hand milk. I do all the milking on our farm. Um, I prefer to hand milk. I, I like to snuggle up to the cow and hand milk. Um, however, we had a brown Swiss cow last year uh we had her for about eight months and she came to us used to a machine and very short teats and was giving about four and a half gallons a day and i said i can't do that <laughs> i can't do this her four and a half gallons was taking me way too long to milk out and she just was kind of over it and she was trained to a machine at a small dairy so um i ended up buying a surge uh milk machine um, it, it was a refurbished machine that I bought from a man who sells them on eBay out of Wisconsin. And, um, he has, he, it's, it's a great product. It's worked great for us. I've been using it for just over a year now. And, um, it's, it's awesome. I've, I replaced a couple lines just, you know, to make sure that I do that before they go bad, but they've been relatively inexpensive. Um, it makes that milking process with the short teat girls go a lot smoother, a lot faster. Um, so I do a combination of both. Yeah, I think that um, I'm I I've, we've done the hand milking with our goats, but I think I'm gonna try the machine the next time. Yeah, I I like 
I like the machine for it, what it's supposed to do. I don't like cleaning the machine. It, it adds an extra 20 minutes or so to my chore time. Um, and that's kind of a pain. Yeah. So, you know. Like I said, I didn't think if, about that part. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, and, you know, you know how it is when you're milking animals, how, how much more dishes you have anyways. And, you know, your, your jars and your buckets and all of that. The machine takes a little bit longer than just washing out your pails. Well, the goat that we were doing was a situation. She was really not very nice. Um, so, you know, who knows? Because the ones that we have now, they're so nice. So, realistically, we might have an easier time. And they don't do that much so i mean they do but you know not seven gallons <laughs> so right right when you're only doing a gallon or so a day yeah i i, I wouldn't use a machine if i was only getting a gallon or so a day um well we have la manchas and okay. and so i mean when they're in milk, which I don't know who's bred or if they are or not, but hypothetically, let's say they all are bred currently. From the one that we've had from them and knowing where they come from, um, we'll sit at about four, four and a half gallons a day on these three. Um, and the other two girls, you know, I, they're, they're still young. So, I mean, we're going to get plenty. And we did pick... The Nubians and La Manchas because I knew the La Manchas, we had the option of possibly going a longer lactation. Uh-huh. So that was a huge thing for me because I was like, well, what if something, what if something happened and we, and we couldn't right. breed? Yeah. With, with cows, that's a little bit different. Um, you can pretty much keep them in lactation as long as you're milking, uh, for the most part. Until they're bred, um, our experience has been when they, if it's been a long lactation, when they get to about five to six months bred, they just decide that they're done. <laughs> and while they'll still come in to milk because they want the feed at milking time, um, and, and, they'll, and they'll stand there just fine to milk, the milk... It, turns it gets an off flavor and we've had milk tested several times for you know sec counts and and checking for coliform and that kind of thing and it's always been fine um it just it's a hormone thing and but it's only been once they're bred that far along and they've been in a long lactation so that's happened due to us moving it's happened due to us not being able to get girls bred in a timely manner um you know we apparently we did we like to move. We've moved a couple of times with our girls in lactation, <laughs> so I I think we're just gonna sit still for a while if we can. But um, like well, currently we have a Holstein and milk. Um, she's almost two years in lactation. In March she wow. will be two years. Um, we will dry her off before then. We'll we'll dry her off within the next month because she's due April second. We want to give them a good eight week period of dry time. But so far, um, her milk has not changed. It's still just as sweet, um, and and she's she's giving about a gallon and a half a day. Um, yeah, she's she's a champ, and the cream line is great. She's she's been milking like a champ. 
the appeal to me on a cow versus the goat is the fact I don't need the cream separator because a lot of people are going for the yogurt and stuff, but my whole thing is having that buttermilk, the actual butter. He is a huge, like, cottage cheese, cheese curd, sour cream, <laughs> all those kind of things, and it, it will be um, very time-consuming to do it with the goat versus with the cow. Yeah, you can just scoop it off the top with the cow's milk. Oh, that sounds yeah, amazing. Yeah, we, we don't... <laughs> We don't use a cream separator. Um, I have entertained the idea a few times of getting one, but then again, it's one more thing to wash. And yeah. if I can simplify my life well, in that department, we then were I will buying, we were buying raw Jersey milk, and I love that farm. It's just, it's just a little bit far for me right now. Right. But what I did love is how we could just like. I could just take a spoon and just take the top off and put it in like coffee or whatever yeah. I need. I just, and she had it just, I mean, she would give us half gallon jars and like literally half of it was cream. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that I will say was the huge appeal. Um, I think I just got nervous with the Jersey thinking I'm going to have issues with calving or I'm going to be overwhelmed with them. Um, you know, being sick or going down or, you know, not breeding because that's what I'm seeing. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure about them not breeding. Um, they, they generally breed pretty easily. If they're not breeding, then something's not right. Either they're cystic and they, they need a, a good clean out with some, you know, they, they can do that with the natu natural hormones that mimic their own body's hormones, um, you know, just, just like you can do with goats. Um, oh, okay. And, and we've actually, we've had to do that a couple of times. We've had two cows and, and they may become cystic if they have a long time, um, between being bred, between calving and their next breeding. Um, if they have too many cycles, that that's something that easily happens. Another thing that often happens, um, to cause breeding issues is that they become overweight and the way cattle, um, carry fat internally, um, specifically cows, the female cows, that they will carry their extra fat around their reproductive organs. Um, specifically, my AI tech is a plethora of knowledge and will give me all the lowdown on this. And he was telling me that specifically along the fallopian tubes that the cilia that carry the egg will just not work um, because they're so engrossed with fat. And so... Um, you know, if, if, if they're over-conditioned, then they won't breed. Fortunately, jerseys in particular um, are kind of hard to keep fat. Now, your mini jerseys, um, they hold weight a lot easier. And, and oftentimes, I've seen where people have to pull them off of grain completely. Um, and so if somebody's looking for grass-fed genetics, that might be something to keep in mind is, is to go the mini route. Um, minis often make a good homestead cow because they're going to generally produce less also, um, I, we've not had that problem. The jerseys that we've kept generally, uh, have, we have a hard time with them keeping on weight. Um, so we've, we've had that opposite issue. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good to know that YouTube is sometimes, you know, you got to realize it's for the ratings too, you know? So I try to I tried to weed through, but I, you know, sure. in my mind, when I think about a dairy cow, 
personally, I'm like, oh, a Holstie. Realistically, right. no. You know, but then you right. think, when I think, oh, family, homestead family milk cow, I see the jerseys, I see the milking Devons. Um, right. And, you know, but we have been looking and people around us do a lot of the Dexters because of their smaller, um, pretty docile, ease of calving. Um, they're like really good in our, in the forest. They're a good forest uh-huh. cow, similar to the Highlands. And, and they make great beef. Yeah. And they're a good beef, beef cow. So that's what we yeah. did look at. But I, I know some people do cross the jerseys with a beef bull. Uh-huh. Um, have you I'll done... tell you some, we, we have done that. Some of the best, um, we've actually exclusively done that until this year. Um, some of the best beef that we have raised on our farm has been a Jersey Angus cross. That was exceptional, um, where the meat had a great marbling, um, Jersey, Jersey fat is yellow. It's different than most of your cattle fats, um, most of your beef breed fats. So it had the good marbling that the Angus brought, but it was a good um, tender yellow fat. And um, it just was exceptional flavor has been one of the best that we've had. Well, that's, that's exciting. That makes me optimistic. Yeah. Now I'm like, eh, we'll yeah. think about it more. Um, especially because minis, you know, so. Sure. There's that option. Um, so what three takeaways should people have now one thing that you've been mentioning over and over that i'll add as a takeaway is you've said multiple times like this is my guy for this and this is my guy for this have a guy you know have have a have a person you know so that you have something to bounce off of that that mentorship that um that something you know so uh but what what three tips would you would you say Yeah, so that is my first tip is to find a mentor, a dairy cow mentor, even if it's somebody online that you can converse with, that you can troubleshoot with, um, to have to have somebody who can show you the ropes, go visit their dairy farm if you can, if you're able and and see how they do things, visit more than one farm because there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? Um, what works for one farm might not work for my farm. Um, I don't have inline plumbing to, to set up four milk machines for my four dairy cows. I'm milking them one at a time because that's what I can afford to do right now. Um, but somebody looking to get into it and looking to maybe start a little micro dairy, they, they need to go look at that other farm that, right. that does things on a bigger scale. Um, and then second, have a vet lined up before you get the cow. Um, that, that was something that we didn't do properly, and I kicked myself. It took us actually years to find a proper vet um, in our area that would see our cows. And, and when you do that, you need to have them established before you have an emergency. Um, so don't wait until your cow is down to call and say, my cow is down at 2 o'clock in the morning. What do I do? Can you come see her? You know, you, you need to be an established client with them already. He needs to have already seen your cow, so he has a history. Um, he doesn't want to just be your emergency guy. So, um, 
those two things and, you know, research, research, research. Uh, before you get a dairy cow, part of that research is going to be um, practicing making the things that you anticipate making once you have your own cow. So work on the yogurt and the ice cream and the cheeses and the sour cream. You know, do all of those things ahead of time. Make sure this is something that you are really wanting to do because once you have the cow at your place in milk, milking is non-negotiable. Um, you know, it is it is absolutely a commitment that can't be brushed off. Um, and so make sure that that's what you want, that that's what you want to do before you do it. And, and research breeds and, you know, research metabolic issues and figure out how how you want to keep your cow and uh, and then jump in and do it. <laughs> well, and nothing... well, people who, you know, get familiar or ask your mentor or someone about calf sharing... Right. So that way, you know, because if you're a super small operation, you might not have to be married to it as, as much as, you know, more and more. If you just have a cow who's bred back with a calf, you can probably have a little bit of a, a flexibility there. Um, have you... Yeah. I mean, there is some flexibility if you're calf sharing, you know, where which is a term we use to say that the, the calf eats and we milk. But there are certain times that that's not possible. Right. Um, there are certain times that that is possible. You kind of, you, you plan your life around the cow. And I always tell people at our farm, the dairy cow is the center of our farm. So she, she runs the show. <laughs> I will say if someone was going to go purchase would they be looking for like you you got a heifer calf i did so is that advised well i'm gonna be a hypocrite here and say no (laughs) um if i had it to do all over again i wouldn't change the way i do it i had a great experience that said for somebody new um, who doesn't have any experience with cows, is looking to get into milk cow life because it is it is a lifestyle. Um, I would recommend finding a a cow that's already in milk or bred heavy bred to to calve soon and be in milk soon, um, or that she has a calf at her side. Um, get them both so that you do have some flexibility. If you mess up and don't get her milked out completely, you're you're better off, you know, you'll be okay as long as you have that calf there, um, to help clean up after you. Um, so that those are kind of some built in securities to, to help your initiation into milk cow life go a little easier. Um, so I make sure that she's trained, um, disease tested is a big one. Um, make sure she's, she's been disease tested. They, they can't say disease free ever because you really need to go through annual testing okay. um but yeah those those i mean those are the main things like make sure she's she knows what what milking means like she's gonna come in she's gonna stand she's gonna milk she's not gonna kick you in the face the first time you sit down to milk you know <laughs> yeah <the fucky laughs> right there how much would somebody right. maybe be looking to pay um well that's gonna depend widely on location so what a dairy cow and milk sells for in your area is going to be different from my area. Um, and I would say 
and it, it depends on a few other factors. So if you're going to buy just a heifer calf like I did in the beginning that I'm telling you not to do, <laughs> <laughs> um, if she's if she's a good heifer calf, you're going to look at $500. Now, that's just paying for the calf. You're also going to have to feed her either raw milk or milk replacer for several months. That's going to cost money. And then you're going to feed her and, and long enough to get her bread, go through her gestation until she's in milk. So you're looking at at least two and a half years before you're going to get any milk on the table. Um, so $500 is just that, that cost of the heifer. If you are looking at a cow with a calf and she's bred back, I would say about $1,800 minimum. Um, a cow in milk is going to be about $1,200 without a calf. And then if she's bred due to calfing anytime soon, um, would be about $1,200. So, it, it, I mean, it really, really just depends on what you're getting. Um, but realistically, can, the, the money sounds high, but... You know, when people are like, oh, I'm going to get one and it's 500 bucks. Like you yeah. said, you got to take You're into consideration. You're going to get what you pay for. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we've bought expensive cows and we've bought cheap cows and you're going to get what you pay for. I'll say that. So, yeah, that's going to change a lot, too. Like I said, by location, by the actual breed, Holsteins go for less in our area. We seem to have a Jersey shortage here, so we're actually breeding our Jersey girls to Jersey bulls so that we will have some calves to sell next year, um, and, I, and, and they'll go for a little bit more than what a Holstein calf would go for. I heard that jer dairy bulls in general are quite aggressive. They are. Uh, a dairy bull is a bigger pain in the butt than your beef bulls, generally speaking, um, and a Jersey bull in particular, uh, there's no meaner bull than a Jersey bull. Um, especially if it was hand raised on the bottle, people think they're doing a good thing there to, to you know, tame the beast. But the, the problem becomes that that bull thinks that his handlers are his herd and cows are very, very pushy. They push each other around as part of their social behavior. And when it comes to the Jersey bull, he's not just pushy. He's just aggressive. Um, we'll never keep a Jersey bull. So if we, if we want Jersey calves, we'll always do artificial insemination. Um, we used to keep a bull <laughs> and we don't do that anymore. Um, for us, for our farm, for our size herd, it just makes better sense to just use the tech, have him come out. Um, it costs less and it's less of a headache. So, loaded question. Okay. And it is a controversial question. If you don't have a bull and you're going to AI and you're going to have a guy come out, what happens as far as your sustainability standpoint? Right. So... We kind of follow good, better, best with all things on our farm and, and in life. You know, we, we do the best that we can with what we have in the moment. Right now, we have six breeder cows. Four of them are dairy, two of them are beef. And for six cows, it doesn't make sense for us to keep a bull unless we had to. Right. Um, you know, and that's, that's like we could eat lizards and squirrels three times a day if we had to. But we choose not to. Right, right now with the way things are so and you know we're not growing our own fodder for our cows either but we could downsize and if you know we had like a true 
world collapse situation, we would definitely do things differently if we had to. Um, so yeah, we don't have a bull on site. We always, every year we have at least one bull that is born. Um, if, if it came down to it or we, we thought things were looking bad in the future, then we would just leave one intact that we could use as a breeder to cover the rest of the girls. Uh, we would also downsize considerably. We wouldn't keep six cows. We don't, we wouldn't need that. We would need one milk cow and, and one bull and that would be it. Um, we also happen to live in an area where everybody around us has cows. So we could walk our dairy cow to the neighbor if we needed to, to have her bread. That so. I only bring this point up because a lot of times people don't think about that. So right. they don't, and to, if something were to happen, you know, like, you're like, we could, but we don't. But some people, they wouldn't be set up for that. They wouldn't right. have those implements. So just churning the brain. Yeah, you no, know? that's a great and question. If, um, be thinking, I would suggest people be thinking about if they had to have one, where would they source that and what breed would they source? Because if you're trying, you know, obviously you're not getting a dairy uh-huh. bowl, you know, so think about, think about that. And, you know, because if something were to happen, you don't want to be like, well, I wonder if old Steven four states over still has that bowl. You know, you, right. you've got to have something mental note in your mind. Know that make the connection there network so that if something were to happen, you are set up because you just don't know. Um, and something yeah. like a cow, just like, you know, it's easy to keep a buck. Easy to keep a buck. Easy, you know, you can keep a boar. You can keep all these things. But then uh-huh. once you start getting into larger, larger animals, I mean, even if you were having horses, you know, and you just randomly, you know, not everybody is comfortable just having a, a stallion. You know, nobody, not everybody has the, that kind of ability. Right. So I wanted to make sure that we we touch on people. Um, possibly. Yeah, we kind of look at that in the same way that we do. Um, you know, being an off grid place or not. Yeah, we would be off grid if we had to. And kudos to you people who do it. <laughs> <laughs> I have no desire to do that right now at this point in life. But if I had to, I certainly could. So yes, we do have backup plans, and 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 the same goes for not just our dairy cows, but all of our animals. And, you know, what, what would we do in this case? And, you know, what would we do with our pigs and that kind of thing? Um, right now we keep a, a larger number of cows that than we need for our family. But if that happened, one of the, the things that we would change would, we, we would find a way to get a, our hands on a bull. Um, or, or, well, and we would keep less. We would, we would definitely downsize our herd. Well, so, I love that um, you've thought of those things. Many don't. I've loved learning about it. Um, Truth be told, probably one day. (laughs) Probably one day. Probably one day. Every homestead should have a small dairy cow. Probably Um, one day. You know, and our goats are good for the hygiene products as well. I really like the lotions and things, the soaps, because it doesn't irritate my skin. So, yeah, we use our Jersey milk to make soap. You yeah, know, so it's, there's it, so it's many, just as good. There's so many options. And so hopefully this gave, you know, people just something to ponder. I appreciate yeah. you taking time to chat with us. And I do you have any social media, websites, anything like that? People can see your dairy cows or follow your journey. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I just want to say thank you for having me. This has been so fun. I told you you would probably have to cut me off. I love talking dairy cows. I would keep going. Yeah, with whoever will listen. <laughs> Um, so we do have um, Hazel Bell Farm. We're on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not great at the social media thing. I just want to farm, and um, I, I know I have to be better. <laughs> uh, we do we sell some products there. We have a website, www.thehazelbellfarm.com, and um, you can contact us through that. And then um, we do a very tiny YouTube channel where we kind of give – people a behind the scenes look at what how our farm runs what that looks like how we do we do have some milking tutorials on there and how we clean our machine and that kind of thing so if people are interested in that they can find it there and, and then i will I'm have also... all your links i'll have all your links in the description Thank box you. of this and as well as the um page as well as the group so if anybody is listening to this just check out the description box before you click out of here and you'll definitely be able to immediately go look, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yes, I appreciate your time. On that note, let's learn. Let's grow. Let's, let's go. go.